This is Awareness Explorers. Welcome, welcome, Awareness Explorers, to Awareness Explorers. I am your co-host, Jonathan Robinson, and I'm with my friend and co-host, Brian Tom O'Connor. And it is another day of exploration in planet Earth, and we are going to be talking about a subject that is dear to many of our hearts. We spend a lot of time in this experience. It's called the experience of self-criticism. Ouch. Yeah, yeah, right. How we do it, how we get lost in it, how we get out of it, and who knows what else we'll explore. Hopefully, we'll do a good job of it, because I would hate to, at the end of it, end up criticizing myself about (laughs) self-criticism. But uh, as we approach this topic gingerly and with love, Brian, what occurs to you about this topic right off the top of your head? You know, the first word that pops into my head is unnecessary. Uh Uh-huh. For something that's unnecessary, we certainly uh, spend a lot of time thinking that it's an important way to be you know, the average person, I think I read, criticizes themselves something like uh, one million times a day. Uh, I'm exaggerating here, and I often criticize myself for, for exaggerating. So it's it's kind of a loop that you get lost in. And many people use the excuse that, well, I'm trying to better myself. That's why I have this inner critic. But a question I have is, does the inner critic really help us better ourselves at all? I mean, have you ever criticized yourself into being a better person? (laughs) No, I never have. But I think it's really important to make a distinction between emotional self-criticism and practical self-criticism. In other words, let's say you're learning to be a good tennis player and your coach says you, you need to improve your forehand and then you practice it. Or you watch a video of yourself playing, or if you're a singer, you hear a recording of yourself singing, and you hear what mistakes you made, and you try to improve on those mistakes. That, I think, is non-toxic, because that's just practical. It's not about whether I am bad. It's what can I improve? But the self-criticism I think we're talking about here, if I'm not mistaken, is the one that says, you're bad. You're a bad person for doing that thing or thinking that thought. What do you think? I think that you're right, and that there's different levels or degrees of viciousness of what can be called the inner critic. For some people, it's kind of like, "Eh, you know, maybe you should have done that a different way. For other people, it's like, you horrible, terrible person, how could you possibly do that? And, you know, as a psychotherapist, I see these different flavors of self-criticism in other people. I've noticed in myself that over time, I used to have a very vicious self-critic, and now I have a very gentle one. And the gentle self-critic is more like a uh, monitoring system in which you are getting feedback as to how to do something different. It might even be almost loving in, in how it expresses itself. But we're not talking about that. We are talking about the incessant self-critical loop and self-narrative of how we should always be different than we are that really takes somebody out of the realm of awakening and awareness and into the realm of 
commenting on your navel over and over again in a way that's not helpful. Yeah, I agree. It's not helpful if what your goal is, is discovering your true nature is awareness. And self-criticism is a subcategory of defining yourself. And all self-definition is just a matter of ideas, concepts in your mind. And they're not really true because they're based on delineation, on separation, and as opposed to oneness and unity, which I believe is, is the truth. Mm-hmm. And we, as we go down to dissecting self-criticism, we can see that there's different flavors in terms of how loving or vicious they are, but also on what they are criticizing. For example, you can criticize your behavior, which uh, might be okay, like, oh, I could have done that better. But when it comes to criticizing your character, it can become more toxic and more defining in a way that is unhelpful. And we also criticize our accomplishments or lack thereof. And the question is, is it always detrimental or can it sometimes be useful as a motivational tool? For example, I might have a thought that says, oh, I should meditate more. Well, that seems like it might be useful if it leads to action. But a lot of people's self-criticism never leads to action. It's just a thought loop that they get lost in and therefore is completely unhelpful. So a question I have for for people listening is, does your type of self-criticism that you involve yourself with, does it ever actually motivate you or not? I think the answer is different for different people. Yes, it probably is different for different people. And it's also, you speak of the distinction that we made earlier between practical self-criticism that's used simply to get better at some skill you'd like to acquire, and the um, the sort of emotional self-criticism that says you are bad, which can be as extreme as your core wound or your feeling of total lack of self-worth. And I think that another Another way of putting this is to make a distinction between shame and guilt, which many psychologists have done. And guilt is, I did something bad, and shame is, I am bad. And it seems to me shame is a lot more toxic and a lot less helpful, whereas guilt could be, okay, I did something bad, let me try not to do that again, or let me see if I can make amends. And that can be healthy, but only if you think of it as something positive that you can learn from and uh, maybe um, be more loving in your relationships in the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those are good distinctions. You know, something I've often wondered about in working with a lot of clients who are very self-critical, always focusing on the negative, does it do any good for them in terms of awakening to then put more focus on the positive, like their uh, beautiful qualities? Is that helpful for balancing things out? Or is that just feeding the same judgmental way of looking at things? And I don't really know the answer to that. It does seem like as people focus on what's good about them, that they become a bit happier, but it does kind of 
get you lost in the same cycle of judging everything. And I, I'm wondering what your thoughts about that are. Yeah, I think it can be helpful at the beginning. I mean, if if you spend all your time um, with self-criticism thoughts, with your inner critic saying, what a jerk you are, how could you have done that, you bad person, then maybe looking for some good qualities might be helpful at the beginning, or simply uh, practicing something like gratitude or appreciation. Looking mm -hmm. for the good definitely can help and take the edge off. And I think it's a great first step, but I think you make a really good point. In the end, no self-definition is going to help you discover your true self because it's words, it's concepts, it's, it's delineation. It's not this, but that. And if you are focused on that, you are not turning your attention to the place where happiness and the real you, your true nature is, which is pure subjectivity, the total background in which anything appears, including self-definition. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, the, the evaluating mind of good and bad is not something that other mammals share. You know, my dog isn't thinking, I really shouldn't lick my leg. You know, <laughs> I think he shouldn't lick his leg, you know, as much as he does or or whatever he does. But he's not thinking, yeah, oh God, I'm doing it again. I can't believe how much I like to lick my leg. I really shouldn't do it. But I'm doing it again. And, you know, uh, uh, because he's not doing that, he's a lot happier than most humans because there is no evaluation there until I tell him something. Um, and, you know, evaluation is good to a small point if done with love and care, but it's a completely different lens than the, the lens of awareness or isness. Things just are. We're the only mammal that seems to have so many judgments as to what's good, bad, right, and wrong. And that just weighs us down after a while where it kind of crowds out the isness of life. And that's where true awakening and peace is. So if you have so many loops of inner critical thoughts, it just crowds out the other possibilities. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more and I couldn't have said it better. Uh, Shakespeare said it pretty succinctly when he said, there's nothing either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. Mm -hmm. And there's yeah. another and there's another expression. I think this comes from 12 step groups, but I'm not sure. Stop shooting on yourself. Right, right. You know, I sometimes have tuned into that word should. And um, I really shouldn't shouldn't say it so much inside my head. You know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's you know, I, I don't I don't think of myself as being very inner uh, critical of myself nowadays, but tuning into the word should, which can be critical or not. I mean, there's degrees. I saw that that was very big in my inner dialogue. Oh, yeah. I should do this. I should do that. I should go to the gym. I should give this person a call. Once again, I don't think my dog is doing that. You know, I really should be barking at the postman, but I'm too lazy. You know, uh, <laughs> he's not doing that. He's just resting and having a good time. And sometimes he barks, sometimes he doesn't. And all is well in the world. So 
one of the things that would be nice for us to learn is how to self-correct gently and and maybe even less often because i think if you're saying should all the time to yourself that's another form of burden it really is and i think there's probably two possible and maybe more remedies for this one would be say byron katie's approach asking is it true how can i know it's true mm -hmm. who would i be if i didn't have that thought uh, i think those are really useful and valuable and i think the second one is this even with self-critical thoughts and shoulds running through your mind awareness is there untouched by the critical thoughts totally okay with the critical thoughts completely allowing and accepting already so mm -hmm. it's not so much that you have to somehow get rid of thoughts in your brain because then you're just going to fight your brain forever but you're going to notice that those thoughts are, they just come in unbidden and they're noticed by something larger something more spacious something totally allowing and loving that's already there which is the background of awareness, which is you, your true you. Mm -hmm. Well said. You know, when I was 18, I was suicidally depressed, and I stopped talking for a while because I would have this voice in my head that would say, you better not say that, you'll look stupid. And it got so bad that I actually uh, stopped talking for a while. And then I read, you know, about this method I've mentioned in other podcasts where you change the tone of the voice. And I changed it to sound like Mickey Mouse. So it would say, instead of, you better not say that, you'll look stupid, it would, which, you know, struck me like if I said something, I might die. Uh, I change it to sound like Mickey Mouse. And it would say, you better not do that, you'll look stupid. And I could laugh at it. And that was a start of disidentifying with my thoughts. I realized that not all my thoughts were, quote, my thoughts. They were just things arising and that they were not necessarily my friend. And when you can identify a thought pattern that's not your friend and find a way to disidentify with it, either through a Mickey Mouse voice or uh, rebuttal or just anticipating it, you know, like, oh, there you go again, that thought, or some other way of, of not taking it so seriously. You know, sometimes I will kind of make fun of some of my thoughts as a way of just, you know, not being impacted by them. And that whole process can be very good if you use self-criticism, if it comes up a lot, to work with it as a practice, like saying, oh, yeah, there's the self-criticism. And then even one way of changing it is to, in the finder's course, they suggest just saying cancel, cancel. You know, I'm not, I'm not going there. Or another way is to actually appreciate your self-critical thoughts, like, wow, I do self-criticism really well. And that changes the energy. It changes the, the loop. And in fact, you know, some of the people you and I have interviewed or I interviewed for books that became very awake and enlightened, they often reported that they would love the parts of themselves that were self-critical. 
And in the guided meditation we do later today, I'll, I'll go into that. But somehow being attuned to this pattern and working with it in a way that works with you can be a really big step in awakening. Wow, those are really terrific and highly practical things. I think I think the voice, changing the voice is marvelous. I think the whole idea of of sort of separating, being bigger than it, you know, seeing yourself as something in which it appears, um, which is paraphrasing what you said, but it's the same idea that that you know, I think that those are really, really helpful. And there's another method that I use, which is there goes Brian again doing that thing. Mm-hmm. There goes there goes Brian again getting him mad at those people who ride bicycles on the sidewalks. Yeah. Um, so it, it it sort of gives a little distance. I think that's was that the word you used? It gives you a little distance from it. And you see it just as something that the the action figure does. That's a Paul Hederman term, which I really love. There's mm-hmm. the action figure, which is this body and mind that does things and thinks things and feels things. And then there's the real you that notices the the action figure. So I think getting some separation and distance is good. And there's one other thing that I wanted to mention, which I think is important, which really helped me a lot. Mm-hmm. I was listening to a recording of a uh, of a, a, a satsang from with Adyashanti. And a young man said that he had done something that he w- was really ashamed of, that that he couldn't feel he could ever get over. And I expected Adyashanti to say, oh, well, you know, just notice the awareness that appears in, or it's not so bad, or whatever. But instead, he said, do you realize that thinking that you should not be the type of person to have done something like that is arrogance? Mm. Mm-hmm. And that really hit me like so strong. Of course, am I the type of person who should never do things? And the correlation of inner criticism is perfectionism, is the idea that somehow we shouldn't make mistakes, somehow that we should be perfect, and somehow we should never be criticized. Yeah, that's the context in which the self-critical thoughts get their juice. And if you look at that context, you say, well, that's ridiculous. That's right. It, it, it is ridiculous. And so I do think we need to cut ourselves some slack. I don't don't mean that you should never try to get good at a skill, but you get good at it. You need you need a certain perspective on it, a kind of an almost impersonal perspective. Okay, my forehand is weak. What exercises can I do to strengthen them? Not, oh, I am a lousy tennis player and I'll never win Wimbledon and I'll be ashamed the rest of my life. It's night and day, the difference. And one is useful, helpful, and one is completely unnecessary and harmful. But both of them are simply thoughts that appear in the vast, clear, open awareness. It's funny that you use that tennis example, because as you were saying that, I was thinking about how uh, in high school, I was on the tennis team. I was a pretty lousy tennis player, but I, I went far because I found a weakness in my opponents. And that is I would 
hit really high lobs to the back of the court and they try to smash it. But, you know, high school tennis players trying to smash from the back line would often miss it and they and they uh, missed a point and they get really mad at themselves for doing that. And so a lot of the people I would win, I would win because they would get so mad at themselves that their game would end. Right. And it, it was kind of like pushing the self-criticism button in other people to the point that they would just lose it totally. And that's how I won in tennis, despite not being very good. I also thought that we're not just critical of ourselves, we're critical of other people. And there's probably a correlation between how critical and judgmental we are of others and how critical and judgmental we are of ourselves. So another way of working on self-criticism is to become less judgmental of other people. And I've often worked with phrases to help me with that, you know, such as a lot of people say the phrase, well, people are always doing the best that they can. And you can often see that in other people, and then you can use that on yourself. Well, I was doing the best, I'm doing the best that I can, you know, with the resources I have and the wisdom I have, I'm always doing the best that I can. Or another phrase that I've used is there being a perfect them. And I say that to myself, well, I'm doing, I'm doing Jonathan perfectly. And he, you know, part of that is making mistakes and doing things he shouldn't do. And he's doing it really well. I had a friend who was very, very loving. And I asked her how she's not judgmental about anyone. And she used she had a phrase that she used when she was seeing somebody do something that maybe other people would be judgmental about. She'd say, "Oh, isn't that cute?" <laughs> <laughs> and once um, I this was a friend long ago, and um, when my stepfather was alive, the guy who used to beat me up somewhat regularly, we went out to lunch with my parents and my stepfather, as he was prone to do, started yelling at my mother in the restaurant and, you know, making quite a scene. And uh, I asked Linda later, uh, so what do you think of my stepfather? And she said, oh, he was so cute. And I go, really? Like when he called my uh, mother a, a effing bitch, you know, uh, at loud volume, that was cute. And she said, well, he's kind of like a little boy having a tantrum. And I thought it was so cute how he just uh, is, you know, just like you might see a two-year-old throw a tantrum. Uh, I just thought it was so cute that this, you know, 250-pound guy is having a tantrum expressing himself just like a two-year-old. And, you know, it, it was interesting for me to see that that's how she was looking at it. And I thought, well, maybe that's a good technique. You know, every time I'm, I'm getting down on myself or, or getting down on somebody else, just say, oh, you know, that self-critical voice, it's so cute. It's just trying to make us better in its own way, or, or any behavior, you know, and it's changing the energy from that, that constricted, judgmental, down on yourself, everything should be different voice to either appreciation or cuteness, or it's perfect the way it is, or people are doing the best that they can. I think people have to find the alternative lens that works for them 
to get out of that whole realm of constriction and tightness that self-criticism and judgment is about. Yeah, that's wonderful. And I love that that technique. Uh, uh, and you could also try seeing someone as a two-year-old. Yeah. You know, yeah. acting that way. And I think that's great. And 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 I think that um one thing that's related to this, which I think is really important, is why is that critical voice there? And you said something, I I can't remember whether you said, you know, it's only trying to help. I think that's what you said. Mm -hmm. And that's really, really important because often a critical voice in your head is there to prevent your your personality, the action figure, from doing something that can be criticized by others or punished. So it's there to preempt. It's there to prevent you, right? Mm -hmm. In other words, it's there to protect you. It was installed very early when you were a little kid and you didn't know better, and it was there to protect you. Why would it want to protect you? Because it loves you. Mm. And if you can see that critical voice as being critical because it wants to protect you, because it loves you, it's just that it's not needed anymore. It's mm -hmm. it's it, it's doing something that was needed when you're two, but is no longer needed now. So thank it for its opinion. Thank it for trying to help, but say, but don't worry, I've got this. Yeah, that's another very simple internal Aikido move. Yeah. You know, thank it, appreciate it, and, and give it a, a new uh, lease on life or a new job or something. That's part of the therapy process known as internal family systems, you know, um, talk to that voice uh, and see if you can find out what its higher intention is and thank it for serving in that way. And then gently remind it that it's not needed in this moment and that that can like calm it down from its incessant way of being. And uh, there's a whole therapy system based on that. When I lead people on MDMA journeys, we often work with this voice and try to send it love because it's almost like a, a um, unloved child. And if it can receive love, if it can receive, know that you care about it, it kind of unwinds it, it kind of relaxes it. And it learns to be more loving, more accepting, and more relaxed. Yeah, absolutely. That's really a, a great approach. And mm -hmm. internal family systems is, is also a good approach and very similar to uh, the voice dialogue therapy of Hal and Sidra mm -hmm. Stone, who I, I'm guessing they even coined the term inner critic. Mm -hmm. And yes, it's really useful. You, you, you see it, you, you, you allow it to be heard instead of fighting it. You, you, you give it, you hear its voice, you let it have its say, but then you look at it from awareness, mm -hmm. from, from larger than that. Mm -hmm. You know, I find that as the inner critic takes up less mental space, it allows a clearer view of the world and yourself. Yes, absolutely. And, and, and I noticed that when I was um, 
when I I was actually working in a voice dialogue session with with a guest that we've had on our show, Bridget Dengel Gaspard, and I. One of my inner voices said, "If I keep focusing on what's wrong with me, I will never see and be able to fully express what's good about me," and that mm. was huge. Hmm. How did that affect you? Oh, it freed me. It 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 allowed me to stop worrying about what's wrong. And it quieted that inner criticism a great deal. And it helped me appreciate my my good points and actually express them in the world. That's wonderful. Now, if some of our listeners experience self-criticism for not supporting our Patreon page, we have a way of dealing with that. <laughs> You sneaky devil. I'm not done. I know. Keep going. So, yeah, if you find that the self-critical voice comes up for not giving us as little as a dollar a month for listening to this podcast, well, our way of helping you with that is that you can go to patreon.com forward slash awareness explorers and donate uh, any amount of money. And we give you perks for doing that. Because not only do we want you to eliminate your self-critical voice, but we want you to hear our our bloopers, our extra interviews, our extra blogs that we send to people who support the podcast. How was that? Was that pretty good? That was, yes, very good and a very good segue in keeping with what we're talking about. Thank you. Thank you. Um, any last thoughts before we do a, a, a meditation on how to effectively handle or change or love the self-critical voice? Yes, I do have one more thought, and it's related to meditation. And again, it's something I learned from Ajashanti. He was talking about, let's say you are in a meditation practice where you are trying to be quiet. You're trying to not engage with the constant turnover of thinking. And you are sitting quietly with your eyes closed, and you're going fine for a while. And then all of a sudden, you realize, oh, my God, I've been thinking about tomorrow, or I've been thinking about work for the last three minutes. And he said, the, the knee jerk reaction is to say, wrong, you failed, you're a bad meditator. And he said, much more helpful is to say, yes, congratulations, you caught it. Great. And then move on. And that's a very, that's a, that's a totally different point of view, a whole new paradigm. It's similar to, I heard a story about a classical orchestra conductor. And in rehearsals, instead of berating people, he said, okay, just for this rehearsal, every time you make a mistake, I want you to stand up and say, hmm. Interesting. Uh -huh. You can change the paradigm of what that action figure does wrong through no fault of its own, just because it's human and flawed and imperfect and embrace imperfection and love it. That old Leonard Cohen line, 
there's a crack in everything that's where the light comes through or something like that oh yeah that's beautiful and forget your perfect offering as Catherine ingram quoted in in one of our yeah. uh, episodes yes yeah. yeah the perfectionism can be very detrimental to the awakening process and as that unwinds and relaxes with perhaps love and self-compassion, new possibilities arise. Yes, yes. And it's all about the past, the future, and the body-mind personality thing. I've been calling it today the action figure. I don't know why I like that term today. And that's not the real you. And so the other thing is, yes, compassion, love, acceptance, allowing, but also noticing that the real you, pure awareness, is already allowing, and it's already there, just waiting to be noticed. And as you get in touch with the real you, I've noticed this for myself, as I get in touch with myself as awareness and the divine qualities that come from that, it's easier to take the self-criticism or even self-critical feedback from other people less seriously, or not seriously, less impactfully. You know, I just led some workshops and uh, and they went well, but I got some critical reviews as well. And, you know, people often tell me, you take criticism and feedback really well. And I think one of the reasons I do take it well, and I'm actually hungry for it, is because I know it's not talking about me so much. It's talking about the action figure. Right. And go, yeah, yeah, the action figure could use a little bit of a dusting off there or could use a little bit of this or that. That's quite true. Uh, but I, since I know myself as awareness, it's not a punch to the gut. It's more like uh, a nick to the fingernail. <laughs> nice distinction. I wish that for everybody. Me too. Me too. One way of getting that for everybody is to have them do a guided meditation, which they can have that experience. Well, I'm looking forward to yours. Well, luckily, I wrote one up or I came up with one, and uh, I think we will begin that now. So if you can, find a comfortable place. And if it's safe to do so, close your eyes. Take a couple of deep breaths. And we'll begin a meditation on looking at self-criticism by first having you think of something you criticize yourself about. It could be something general like being lazy or something specific like your weight or how you don't make enough money. But just choose one thing for now. And as best you can, get in touch with how it feels to criticize yourself for that one thing. Perhaps you can hear that voice in your head and notice any constriction or tightness in your body as you think about something you've feel should be different about yourself and you're critical about yourself for. Continue to 
notice and feel the vibration and the body sense of being self-critical. Now to explore it even further, say to yourself, I am flawed. I am flawed. And notice how that feels. Now try something different. Say to yourself, I am feeling flawed. I am feeling flawed. And notice if that feels different. Now say to yourself, the thought of being flawed is arising out of a field of awareness. The thought that I am flawed is arising out of a field of awareness. And notice how that feels. The thought that I am flawed is arising out of a field of awareness. Now, for the last time, say the thought that I am flawed and the thought that I am perfect are both arising out of a field of awareness. The thought of being flawed and the thought that I am a perfect me both arise out of the same field of awareness. And notice how that feels. And perhaps you saw that as you disidentify that you are flawed in increasing layers, that those thoughts have less and less impact on you. And finally, imagine that you could send love and a hug to the part of you that scans for and comes up with self-critical comments. Perhaps you can visualize it as a character or as an energy. And just imagine that part receiving rays of love and compassion that help dissolve it and dissipate it or shrink it down under the healing power of love. Imagine giving the inner critic a hug and just noticing how it softens and dissolves. Now allow yourself to feel total acceptance for exactly how you are, flaws and all.
There is nothing you need to do or change to be a perfect version of you. Now allow yourself to rest in that realization. And feel the softness, the openness, and the peace of being a perfect version of you, even with flaws, even with thoughts that you might not like, but all arising out of a perfect field of awareness. And when you're ready, take your time, come back to feeling your chair, allowing this moment to be just as it is, however it is. And when you're ready, you can slowly begin to open your eyes. Welcome back. Thank you. You know what? That really worked for me, and a, and a side effect of it was that I got really relaxed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the inner critic can keep us pretty wound up, both physically, mentally, and emotionally. That's right, that's right. And another thing I noticed that's very interesting, uh, you use the phrase arising from a field of awareness. And I often use the phrase appearing in a field of awareness. And I realized that they both can work because arising from a field of awareness can be like a wave arising from the ocean mm -hmm. and then falling back and it's never not ocean. So I think uh, I I'm going to add that to my repertoire. Great, great. Yeah. Part of our job here is to give people all kinds of possibilities, all kinds of uh, new lenses and new methods, and their job, should they choose to accept it, your job is to find what works for you. Yep. Well, this worked for me. Me too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I enjoyed this conversation very much, and uh, and uh, I think we covered we covered a lot of bases, and so I appreciate <laughs> that we talked about this. Me too, me too. And hope that you get value. If you get value, give it to your uh, friends who might suffer from this uh, particular disease that, that affects human beings now and, and pass the love on. Until next time, keep exploring. Keep exploring. Thank you for listening to Awareness Explorers. To learn more, you can check out our website at awarenessexplorers.com. Please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. We'd love it if you would post a review. And please share our link on Facebook and with family and friends. Because knowing yourself as awareness is the greatest gift you can give yourself or someone you love.